glad that you're listening to this podcast. This podcast is a ministry of the Bonners Ferry Baptist Church and of Pastor Devin Neal. John chapter 18, beginning verse 1. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went forth with his disciples over the brook Kedron, where was a garden into the which he entered and his disciples. And Judas also, which betrayed him, knew the place, for Jesus oft times resorted thither with his disciples. Judas then, having received a band of men and officers from the chief priests and Pharisees, cometh thither with lanterns and torches and weapons. Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that should come upon him, went forth and said unto them, Whom seek ye? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus saith unto them, I am he. And Judas also, which betrayed him, stood with them. As soon then as he had said unto them, I am he, they went backward and fell to the ground. Then asked he them again, Whom seek ye? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I have told you that I am he. If therefore ye seek me, let these go their way, that the saying might be fulfilled which he spake of them which thou gavest me, have I lost none. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it, and smote the high priest's servant, cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Then said Jesus unto Peter, Put up thy sword into the sheath. The cup which my father hath given me, shall I not drink it? Then the band and the captain and officers of the Jews took Jesus and bound him and led him away to Annas first, for he was father-in-law to Caiaphas, which was the high priest that same year. Now Caiaphas was he which gave counsel to the Jews that it was expedient that one man should die for the people. And Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. That disciple was known unto the high priest and went in with Jesus into the palace of the high priest. But Peter stood at the door without, then went out that other disciple which was known unto the high priest, and spake unto her that kept the door and brought forth and brought in Peter. Then saith the damsel that kept the door unto Peter, Art not thou also one of this man's disciples? He saith, I am not. And the servants and officers stood there who had made a fire of coals, for it was cold, and they warmed themselves, and Peter stood with them and warmed himself. The high priest then asked Jesus of his disciples and of his doctrine. Jesus answered him, I spake openly to the world. I ever taught in the synagogue and in the temple, whither the Jews always resort, and in secret have I said nothing. Why askest thou me? Ask them which heard me what I have said unto them. Behold, they know what I said. And when he had thus spoken, one of the officers which stood by, stood by struck Jesus with the palm of his hand, saying, Answerest thou uh, the high priest so? Jesus answered him, If I have spoken evil, bear witness of the evil. But if well, why smitest thou me? Now Annas had sent him abound unto Caiaphas the high priest, and Simon Peter stood and warmed himself. They said therefore unto him, Art not thou also one of his disciples? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, being his kinsman, whose ear Peter cut off, saith, Did not I see thee in the garden with him? Peter then denied again, and immediately the cock crew. Now turn if you would to John 21. We'll make a comparison here. And again, we've preached a message out of this text calling, called Following Afar Off, a number of messages that can be drawn out of this text. But I want specifically to focus on these two texts. It's not been long. We've been in John 21 recently. But here in John 21, beginning verse 1, now we've moved forward. Jesus has been crucified in the grave three days and raised from the dead. And now we come into John 21. In the period of time between Jesus' resurrection and ascension, those of you who know your Bibles know this text well. 
After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, and on this wise showed he himself. There were together Simon Peter and Thomas called Didymus and Nathanael of Canaan and Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee and two other of his disciples. Simon Peter saith unto them, I go a fishing. They say unto him, We also go with thee. They went forth and entered into a ship immediately, and that night they caught nothing. But when the morning was now come, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples knew not that it was Jesus. Then Jesus saith unto them, Children, have ye any meat? They answered him, No. And he said unto them, Cast the net on the right side of the ship, and ye shall find. They cast therefore, and now they were not able to draw it for the multitude of fishes. Therefore the disciple whom Jesus loved saith unto Peter, It is the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he girded his fisher's coat unto him, for he was naked, and did cast himself into the sea. And the other disciple came in a little ship, for they were not far from land, but as it were two hundred cubits, dragging the net with fishes. As soon then as they were come to land, they saw a fire of coals there, and fish laid thereon, and bread. Jesus saith unto them, Bring of the fish which ye have now caught. Simon Peter went up, and drew the net to land, full of great fishes, and a hundred and fifty and three. And for all there were so many, yet was not the net broken. Jesus saith unto them, Come and dine. And none of his, the disciples durst ask him, Who art thou? Knowing that it was the Lord, Jesus then cometh and taketh bread, and giveth them and fish likewise. This is now the third time that Jesus showed himself to his disciples after that he was risen from the dead. We'll come back to John 21 at the end of the message. And what I'm going to give you this morning, give me three points, but really the message is in two points. The final point is really just a question. Uh, and I find in John, 18, or in John 18 and John 21, you find two different fires. And the message title this morning is that whose fire are you sitting? That's also the final point of our message. At whose fire are you sitting today? There's two fires, and Peter is at both fires. In John 18, he's at a fire of the enemies of God. And in John 21, is at a fire kindled by the Lord Jesus Christ. Symbolically and figuratively speaking, I believe we have fires like that. And I said figuratively, kindled today. The world has kindled some fires, meaning they've stirred some things up because the world is ever in active opposition to God. Make no mistake, though the world acts like it doesn't know if there's a God, the world likes to act like they're not sure if the gospel, you know, we're sure the gospel is not true. They like to ignore and treat Jesus Christ like they did 2,000 years ago, like he's a fraud. There is active opposition and resistance to Jesus Christ and what he's doing on this earth. If you go and seek to serve God in the world, you'll find out quickly the world is still headed up by Satan and is in direct opposition to the Son of God. We do not live in a spiritually neutral atmosphere. Our atmosphere has not been spiritually neutral the entire existence of planet earth. Even before Adam and Eve sinned, it wasn't a spiritually neutral atmosphere. There is a draw on you today to be like the world. I am preaching specifically to people this morning. If you're here and you don't know you're saved or you don't know that you have eternal life, please don't leave without letting someone speak to you and get that matter settled. Having said that, the message this morning is especially for Christians. It's especially for God's people. I believe, I believe this. I began to pray, 2017, Lord, deliver our church from apathy and complacency. And I've been praying it ever since. I've been praying, Lord, keep me from apathy and complacency. I want to ask you a question. In John 18, Peter is sitting by a fire. The Bible says warming himself. Is he still one of Jesus' disciples or not? He is. If you were watching the scene, what would you think of Peter? 
Now, there were a number of people watching the scene, and we find out what they thought of Peter. I think everybody's scratching their head like, what are you doing? We know who you are. Your speech bereath you. You're one of his, but he's trying to act like one of them. I began to say earlier, the trends in Christian, so-called Christian culture today tell me that in general, American Christianity has pulled itself up to the fire of the enemies to say, how can we make you like us, make you not treat us like you treating him? Those without God today, deep within their heart, because they've never been reconciled to God, are still enemies of God. May I say to you, there were people that were enemies of God here who had all the religious trappings. Caiaphas knew the Scriptures well, but he didn't believe them. Annas knew the Scriptures well, but he didn't believe them. The religious crowd who claimed to worship Jehovah God were busy crucifying His Son. You make no mistake today, religion in this world is still doing the same thing today. The religions of our world are not for Jesus Christ. The average religion in our world today, I'm talking about false religion, is anti-Christ. It believes science more than so-called science, not true science. Science, so-called, they believe it more than the Bible. May I say to you, any religion that takes so-called science over Scripture is not of God. Amen. You say, what's that got to do with our message? Everything. On us today, if you have... Here's where Peter's at. Let me ask you, let's just... We do this every time we preach on Peter. It's necessary. Is Peter a genuine and legitimate believer in Jesus Christ? Yes or no? If you study the Scripture, he is. In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus asked who he is. And Jesus, Peter says, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus affirms that Peter was not repeating what someone else believed. Peter wasn't repeating someone else's faith. That was his own true conviction. He said, Flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. Meaning Peter had through Jesus Christ an established relationship with God the Father. Yet in John 18, we find him at fire number one. And if you're watching Peter, you'd be scratching your head saying, what happened to you? And it all goes back to other messages we've looked at in time past. In Matthew chapter 16, when Jesus is heading toward the cross, Peter says, not so, Lord, it shall not be unto thee. And what I want you to get clear in your mind today, and this is something the Lord has again and again and again pressed upon my heart to preach not only in this church, but especially, of course, to our church, is we need to make sure that our perception of who we are as Christians is aligned with God's perception. Jim and I were talking Thursday night, and I said, and I believe this with all of my heart, one of the only things that prevents revival among us is our lack of honesty with ourselves. If we could be honest and see things, and I don't mean that we intend to deceive ourselves. I don't think Peter got up one day and said, you know what? I am really not a very good disciple, but I'm going to tell myself I am until I think that I am. He really believed it. Peter's view of himself is that he was superior to all the other disciples. The telltale sign that I am not a superior disciple is when I think that I am. May I say this? If you're under the sound of my voice this morning and your view of yourself is, I am probably a superior Christian to others, think it again. We have a superior master. The superiority complexes among disciples brings compromise. I didn't say inferiority complex. Very few people have that in this country. We have superiority complexes. 
I would not deny the Savior. Now, that one would because Thomas, Lord, Thomas would deny you because he's the doubter. He's questioning everything. And John, he might deny you because, you know, I know John. He's not tough like I am. And my brother Andrew might deny you, but not me, Lord. At the very moment that Jesus was saying that Peter was a tool of Satan, Peter was saying, I am the best servant you have. That's Matthew 16. Peter is so confident in his own discipleship that he believes he needs to step in and help the Lord Jesus run his own business. Right? He is so confident that he knows what he's doing that Jesus is not managing things well. So in Matthew 16, he says, Lord, you can't go to Jerusalem and be crucified. This shall not be unto thee. You know, he's telling Jesus, you've got a martyr complex. And Peter starts correcting the Lord Jesus Christ and Jesus says... Get thee behind me, Satan. Within a few chapters, you'll find that Jesus warns Peter, you're going to deny me. And Peter says, no, I won't. They all may, but I won't. That's Luke chapter 22. Simon, Simon, Satan hath desired to have thee, that he may sift thee as wheat, but I have prayed for thee, that thy faith fail not. You know what Peter's saying? You don't need to pray for me. I wouldn't deny you. Lord, do you not have confidence in my love for you? He says, I'm ready to go to prison with you. And you have to check me on this. Read Luke 22 and check that I'm telling you exactly what the Bible says. I'm ready to go to prison with you. I'm even ready to die for you. Is that not what Peter said? And Jesus said, no. So here's Peter's view of himself. I am your best and most loyal disciple. And Jesus' view was... You are the disciple right now that is in more danger than any other. You with me? I'll remind us this morning, and this is true for all of us, if you've got breath in your lungs, you're going to battle pride today. It doesn't matter how low life may bring us. I have had moments where I thought, I'm dealing with someone who's in a very difficult situation of life. They're very sick or they're in jail. And I think, now here's someone who's going to be humble. And find that the only thing that can cure pride is Jesus Christ. We can't self-cure on that one. And Peter had a bad case of it. And may I say this? All of us do too. In our flesh. I'm not saying you have to submit to it. I'm not saying you have to be proud. I'm just telling you if you're breathing here this morning, you're going to have to learn that pride is something to be reckoned with and it must be dealt with like every other sin. It's just a little more subtle than the rest. It has to be taken back to the cross where it is to be appropriately dealt with. But I just want to focus in on these two fires and I believe in looking at these two fires, it might give us a gauge where we are spiritually, individually, as a church, Uh, maybe even in our spiritual state as a nation among God's people. I want us to see this fire. You'll hear me say things around here like, you know what, we're not changing our style of music. But man, bear with me here. We're not going to change our style of music. And someone might hear, well, you're stuck in the past somewhere. You just really like that style. What I'm saying is we don't do things to get the world to think we're cool and fit in either personally or as a church, because that's backwards. And this, this, this account today helps to, to demonstrate what would lead us to those kind of convictions in our life about conformity to the world. So I'm calling our first fire the fire of conformity. Because here's what Peter's trying to do. 
He is trying to fit in with the enemies of God. Now, I have had the, the blessing and the privilege. God's allowed me to preach now for some time. He's given me the privilege of pastoring here almost 15 years. And prior to that, getting to preach. And my point in saying that is you get, my life is dealing with Christians. That's my job. My job for years, whether as a youth leader and Sunday school teacher, as a pastor, is dealing with Christians. It's my world is about helping Christians serve God. And I would find this probably the number one factor that is curtailing our spiritual development and our spiritual usefulness is we are intimidated by a world that hates God. We've let the world intimidate us and push us back and say, you, you don't want to do what's right and follow Him or we'll make you pay. And that is shelled out on so many different levels. It's shelled out at the family level. It's shelled out at the work level. It's sadly shelled out at the church level. And in the societal level, there is an animosity in our world toward God. And friend, listen to me. That's not going away until Jesus reigns on the throne. So you and I are either going to compromise and deny Him or deny self. May I say this this morning, if we refuse to deny ourselves, we will deny the Savior in the way that Peter did. So the two fires. The first fire is the fire of conformity in John 18. Now, this fire, and we'll read about it in some of the other texts, but this fire Peter is at, and it's very different Both are fires, both are fires that have been kindled by someone for a purpose. And again, you're familiar with this, this has been preached before, but don't lose me here this morning. So in John 18, we go back over there, the Bible says in verse 15, and Simon Peter followed Jesus. Now I believe in Mark's, Matthew's, and Luke's gospel, all three, it makes the point that he followed afar off. That's another message for another day. Meaning he's following the Lord Jesus, but not too close. Not too close. Now, bear with me. If you're going to follow the Lord Jesus, but you're not going to follow too close, what would be the reason? Let's put it to you this way. Let's say we're in Canada this morning having church, and the police decide to come in the door and arrest your pastor like they have two other pastors in Alberta. Coming soon to a neighborhood near you. They've arrested two pastors up there for having church. So let's say the police come in this morning and they're going to arrest your pastor and haul him off to church for assembling us today in the midst of a pandemic. Uh, And they do that and you say, I want to see if they actually put him in jail. So as they get him in the squad car, let him get down the road a little bit and then we'll go jump in our car and we'll just kind of tail him. But not too close. Why not too close? This isn't rocket science. They'll throw me in jail too. They'll think that I'm with him. There it is. That's exactly what's going on. Jesus has been arrested for being the righteousness of God. He is a reproof to everyone he comes in contact with and the Pharisees are going to have no part of anybody telling them that they need a Savior. They're good on their own. And so they said, we've got to put him to death. He's going to lead an uprising and... They didn't even know what he was doing. They thought he was going to try to bring a civil uprising. It's not even what he came to do. And by the way, they thought he fell into their hands. He fell right into theirs. It was his plan to be crucified and die for our sins. But the fact of the matter is this this morning, as Peter follows afar off, he's keeping enough distance to soothe his conscience but not cost him anything. You with me? I want to be like the Lord Jesus, but not so much that the average Joe can pick up on it. 
I don't mind if people think I'm moral, but I don't want them to think I'm a fanatic. I don't mind having the benefits of Christianity in my workplace, good work ethic. Every employer likes that. That helps me get better pay. But I wouldn't want to be thought of one of those right-wing nuts who believe that the Bible is infallible and inerrant. No, you wouldn't want to believe what Jesus believes. That's what he believes about the Scripture, by the way. It's what he said while he was on earth. Never criticized it one time. Never critiqued it, never broke it apart, never charged it with air. He preached it with authority. My point is this. I don't want to be... And what happens is we develop all kinds of fancy little doctrines to explain the distance between us and the Savior. You know what we're doing? We found us a fire. We found us a place of comfort. I'm going to give you three things about the fire... Or a few things about the fire in John 18. The fire of conformity. And again, I call it the fire of conformity because who's he with? Who who kindled the fire? Do you remember in the text? The Bible tells us that the soldiers and I believe it's the servants of the high priest's house, so these are the very people responsible for arresting the Lord Jesus, waiting to see what's going to happen with the trial, kindle the fire. It's cold outside. It's springtime and it's cold, and so they kindle this fire. And the Bible tells us that Peter gathers around. I want to go and read it in a couple of the other gospel accounts. We'll just get a good, clear picture of what's taking place. So turn, if you would, to Matthew 26. And we'll, we'll get moving here in just a moment. Matthew 26. Jesus had told his disciples back in verse 41 to watch and pray that they not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Then we come down here in verse 57. And it says, and they laid hold on Jesus. They that laid hold on Jesus led him away to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders were assembled. But Peter followed him afar off under the high priest's palace and went in and sat with the servants to see the end. So he's sitting with the servants of the enemy. Then if you move on down into verse 69 of Matthew 26, it says, Now Peter sat without in the palace, and a damsel came unto him, saying, Thou also wast with Jesus of Galilee. But he denied before them all, saying, I don't know what thou sayest. And when he was gone out into the porch, another maid saw him and said unto them that were there, This fellow was also with Jesus of Nazareth. And again he denied with an oath, I do not know the man. And after a while came unto him they that stood by and said to Peter, Surely thou also art one of them, for thy speech bereath thee. Listen here, verse 74. Then began he to curse and to swear, saying, I know not the man. And immediately the cock crew. And Peter remembered the word of Jesus which had said unto him before the cock crow, Thou shalt deny me thrice. And he went out and wept bitterly. Mark's Gospel, chapter 14. Just want to read one more account here to, to, to paint this picture clearly about this fire of conformity. Mark, chapter 14. The Bible tells us, if you move on down to verse 66, And as Peter was beneath in the palace, there cometh one of the maids of the high priest. And when she saw Peter warming himself... She looked upon him and said, And thou also wast with Jesus of Nazareth. But he denied, saying, I know not, neither understand I what thou sayest. And he went out into the porch, and the cock crew, and a maid saw him again and began to say to them that stood by, This is one of them, and denied it again, and so on and so forth, until he denies three times. The Bible would make it very clear that here's a fire warmed or built by the enemies of God, and here's Peter by it. I want to give you a few things about it. First of all, what led him to this fire? How do you end up chumming with the enemies of God, trying to convince them, I'm one of you? What got him here? What led him to this place? Well, first of all, Peter had been living a life dependent upon himself. That's, that's abundantly 
simple to, to put forward in Scripture. Now, I don't think Peter knew he was living a life dependent on himself. If you said, Peter, who are you depending on? He said, I'm depending on Jesus. He's the one that decides where we go. He's the one that charts our course. He's the one that calms the storms. Uh, he's the Son of God. Of course, I'm depending on him. But the evidence was this. When Jesus warned him, Simon, Simon, Satan hath desired to have thee that he may sift thee as wheat, but I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. And he says, uh, when thou art converted, Luke twenty-two thirty-two, strengthen thy brethren, meaning you're not going the direction you think you are. Converted means to be turned around. If I ask you this morning, are you following the Lord? I'm imagining probably every hand in this room would say, I'm following the Lord. That's what Peter would have done. If Peter were in the service today and you said, are you a disciple of Christ? Yes, I am. I believe he's the Son of God. Are you a follower? Yes, I've left my nets. I've left my father. I've abandoned my former way of life. I am following Christ. But every time Jesus wanted to go somewhere, Peter didn't want to go. Peter argued with him. Every time Jesus made Peter look weak, Peter argued with him. He said, if I don't pray for you, Peter, you're going to fail. And Peter said, look, he said, all of you will deny me. And Peter said, not I, as I already went through. Peter was living a life that said, I will be faithful. I have decided I'm going to follow Jesus, and don't you worry about me, Lord. And Jesus told him in Mark 14 and in Matthew 26, watch and pray, watch and pray. You must, Peter, you must get strength from heaven if you're going to do what is right. And what did Peter do? Listen, can I make an analogy? We're in the end of the world. We're in the end of the world. And there is less praying going on among God's people today than probably in the history of our country. We are supposed to be watching and praying. We're snoozing. So many are asleep spiritually. Do you think Peter knew the impending danger that was coming into the Garden of Eden? I mean the Garden of Gethsemane. Of course not. He's asleep. You say he was tired. I agree he was tired. He was. So was Jesus. Jesus was in a great agony and sweat as it were great drops of blood. Now don't misunderstand me. You say, well, Peter just revealed he needed a Savior. That's right. But the problem with Peter in this moment is he did not acknowledge how greatly he needed the Savior. He said, all the others may deny you, but not I. So what led him to a path or to a fire where he's willing to actually pretend he's not a Christian, where he actually makes decisions to make the people around him think, I'm one of you. Well, first of all, he was living a life of self-dependence. He had confidence in Peter. I got this. I got this. Lord, I don't need... How many of you think we could go weeks on end without Bible reading, church, and prayer and still be loyal to Christ. Well, I'm a strong Christian. So my strength comes from me, or it comes from him? When Jesus rebuked Peter, it rolled off his back. Now, that's not me. It's a life of self-dependency. Not only was he dependent on himself, he was defensive of himself. I found by, by my own experience, when I get defensive against anything that makes me look bad. It, how many of you know this? When you run a fever, it tells you there's something wrong. Okay. When I get up in arms about my faults being known, it tells me I'm running a spiritual fever. How many of you have faults this morning? 
talking about weak points. Areas you have to guard against or you're going to sin. We all do. What are we supposed to do with those? Hide them. Well, actually, that's not what James 5 says. It says confess them one to another. We're to confess. This is an area of weakness for me. I need prayer. I, I, I fear what people think of me. I need you to pray for me. How many of you go around telling people, I fear what people think of me? And we preachers, we don't do that. We're not afraid of anybody. Hogwash. You, pr- you know why Paul said pray for me that I'll be bold? Because he was tempted not to be. You know why you need to pray for your preacher? Because there are moments I want people to like me more than I want to be faithful. How about you? Are we that way? Do we, do we have faults? Not Peter. The other disciples, he, look, he knew all the other disciples had faults. Lord, they may deny you, but not me. That's exactly what he said. They may all go away, but not me. And Jesus said, before the cock crow twice, thou shalt deny me thrice. Mark's gospel tells us. Jesus knew what was coming because he saw Peter for as Peter was. And Peter was self-dependent, self-defensive, and therefore self-deceived. We're asking, what was his path to this fire of conformity? What led him to the place of trying to blend? The same thing that's led a host of American churches, independent Baptist churches today, to being seeker-sensitive and changing our loyalty to the Word of God, to being loyal to what they want to hear. You know why preachers cuss over the pulpit today? Not because of the grace of God, but because of the fear of man. You know why we put rock and roll music in our churches or on our stereos in our car? Not because of the grace of God, but because we want to blend. We want to fit in. We want them not to identify us with a Savior who was so narrow-minded that He defined and identified sin and said, I'm the only way to be forgiven. The world hates that. They hate His narrowness. Now hear me this morning. Very few Christians are willing to identify with the narrowness of Jesus Christ in such a broad-minded world. And that's what's costing us and causing us. You find an individual and you find a church that compromises its loyalty to Christ way back down the road somewhere with self-dependency and self-defensiveness. I do, I'm fine, I'm good, I'm fine. I'm fine. I I don't ever have to really respond to preaching because I always get it fixed before I hear sermons. I'm good. I'm praying for you praying for you too. We all pray for each other. I don't need prayer. I'm fine. You with me? Pride. You know, got Peter in trouble. Same thing gets us in trouble. He thought, I have figured out how to be a good Christian. I know how to be a loyal disciple. Look at what I've forsaken. Look at what I've left behind. But hear me now. Peter had done a lot more than a lot of us have. He had preached the gospel. Time and time again, he had cast out devils. He had healed sicknesses. I mean, this man is not just some Johnny-come-lately, but his self-defensiveness and his self-dependency and his self-deception. He had a view that he was strong when he was weak. He had a view that he could stand when he was right about to fall. He was self-deceived. James one twenty two says, But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only... Deceiving your own selves. And so then this morning, his path to the fire of conformity where he's actually congregating with people. Okay, here, here he is over here saying, I will never deny you. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. I don't know him. I've got a, are you one of Jesus's? Are you one of those Christians? Aren't, no, I, no, not me. 
not me. Now, by the way, sometimes our profession is not so pronounced as his. We may not be in the workplace and say, I'm not one of those narrow-minded, wingnut Christians who just believe everything the Bible says. We might not say it like that. But somebody near us will criticize the Bible and we are sympathetic with their criticism. Well, yeah, I know, I know, yeah. And we, we act like we're on their team. Jesus says, if you're not for him, we're against him. It's one or the other. And so what led him to this fire of conformity was self-dependence, self-defensiveness, self-deceit. His purpose, why was he at this fire? He tells us repeatedly what he was doing there. Now, there's nothing wrong with warming yourself over a fire. But why do you get near a fire to get warm? To be comfortable. The cold is uncomfortable. If it's cold outside, you know what? I got up yesterday morning. We had the windows open back in our room. That's so we could let some cool air in. It's stuffy the night before. I got up. It was cold in my office. So I shut the window and turned the fireplace on. Why? Because I wanted to be comfortable. Let me ask you something. When Peter goes to this fire at the high priest's house where the enemies of God are congregated and he starts warming himself, what is his, is he running from something or is he pursuing something? And the answer is yes. He is running from difficulty and affliction and he's running to comfort. He wants to, as I said before, he wants to soothe his conscience being near enough to Jesus to not be accused of having fled but far enough not to be identified with him. You start thinking through your life. Can I give you another practical illustration? Someone brings up the theory of evolution. If you know Jesus Christ, you know he does not believe in the theory of evolution. He taught literally the creation of the world as it's taught in Genesis. But someone brings up the theory of evolution, and lest we should be thought one of those narrow-minded, strange, creation-believing Christians, we say, well, I find some merit to the theory of evolution. Instead of saying, that can't be true. We create enough distance. We won't say, I'm an evolutionist. But we create enough distance between ourselves and the position of the Savior. Someone brings up hell. I can't believe, some co-worker not caring that you're standing by. I can't believe anybody would be so narrow-minded and mean. I will not accept a God who would send good people to hell. And we began to kind of backpedal and, well, I understand that sentiment. And we start sympathizing with their unbelief. Isn't that the same as saying, I don't know him. I'm going to stay close enough that I soothe my conscience, but far enough that they don't think I'm one of his. You think about your positions in life and where you are positioning. Are you positioning with the Savior or with the world? If you ask Peter, are you a servant of the high priest? He said, no. Are you, are you trying to see Jesus crucified? No. Then what are you doing standing with these people? You and I cannot straddle fences very long. That's where he was. Dependent on himself, defensive of himself, deceived himself. He ends up seeking warmth instead of seeking faithfulness. Jesus said in Revelation 3, I would that thou wert hot or cold. He would either have you in his work with both feet or out. Not going to church enough to soothe my conscience, but not enough to be thought a fanatic. Not reading my Bible enough. I'm going to read my Bible enough to soothe my conscience and say, well, I'm a Christian, but not enough to let it change my life. 
I'm going to pray enough to say, well, yeah, when the pastor says, if you prayed this week, I want to be able to say, well, yeah, I know Christians pray. I prayed this week over most of my meals. And I took a little time to ask God for some things and thank Him for the sunshine. I prayed this week. Hey, all in or all out. Peter finds himself half in and half out because he'd been living a life dependent on himself, not on Christ. See, how do we know he wasn't dependent on Christ? He wasn't submitted to the authority of Christ. So how can I know if I'm not submitted to the authority of Christ? This is hard. Are you obeying him? Not do I want to obey him. Not do I think about obeying him. Am I doing what I know to be his will? Am I setting forward to obey? If I know his will and I'm doing it not, I'm in disobedience. Peter was not living in dependence on Christ. But on himself. So his path there, dependency on self is pride. His purpose, personal comfort. You know how we take the path of pride? That's the way the world's going. You know why those guys built a fire? While they were killing Jesus, they wanted to be comfortable. You know why we join them at their fire? We want the same thing they do. We just want to be comfortable. Can I ask you this morning this question? Is the purpose of your life to feel good at the end of the day with comfort? Or to say, I've done the will of my my Savior. I've done what God wanted me to do. What are you seeking this morning? What am I seeking this morning? Am I seeking to be a disciple in the midst of a hostile world without getting nailed as one? Or am I just seeking to be faithful to him? Uh, Peter ended up at this fire for all the wrong reasons. His purpose was comfort. His profession, we've read it already. He was asked three times, aren't you one of his? No, I'm not. Your speech bereath you. You talk like a Galilean. You're not from here. You know what? You can go out in the world and try to pretend to be a worldling, but they'll pick up on you. They're going to say, now you smell like a Christian. <laughs> you, you, you talk like a Christian. And how many times are we trying to figure out the blended life? How can I be a disciple? May I say, I'll, I'll just back it up. The way we get there in that mentality, how can I blend with the world and be faithful to Christ at the same time is that we've not been living by faith. We've been living in self-confidence. And so the fire of conformity, his path was one of pride. His purpose was for personal comfort. His profession was a flat-out lie. He, he said, are you one of his? And he said, no. May I say this? If you're born again this morning and the world out there begins to put pressure on you and say, are you one of those people that believe that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven? If your answer is not emphatically yes, by what you say and what we do, then we're lying. If I'm his, I'm to glorify him in my body and in my spirit, which are his. You see, the world hates God and it wants us to join them in it. And if you've been saved, you know that's not right. How can I live in hatred? So Peter's not cursing Jesus just yet. He's just denying that he's one of them. But then to make the cell, he begins to act like them. He starts to curse and to swear got a question did peter know it was wrong to curse did he know it was wrong to swear and did he know it was wrong to lie may i say this i believe one of the number one reasons that truly born again people live in sin is to get the world to think i'm one of you i'm not going to be a drunkard but i'll drink one with you every now and then may i tell you something this morning it is still a sin for a christian to put alcohol to his or her lips period well that's narrow-minded i'll jump in that class He said, straight is the gate and narrow is the way. 
it's still a sin to stand around and speak of immoral things and do immoral things. And there's something in us all we want to fit. We want to be liked. We want to blend with the world. That's where Peter is at. So he begins to embellish his profession with cursing and swearing and saying, I don't know the man. He says, the more I act like them, the more I'll think they'll think I'm not one of his. And whether you've ever, ever spelled that out in your mind purposely, when we begin to live like the lost world, it is to convince them, I'm one of you. That's the fire of conformity. Now, between the fire of conformity, you might call it the fire of compromise, uh, between that and the fire of consecration, where Peter gets things right with his Lord, where he has to face the truth of what's taking place, a number of things take place. And there's a season in Peter's life where he knows Jesus is raised from the dead, but he's not with the Lord. He's still distant. And that's because things have not been reconciled yet. You see, you think about this. If I told, if I told Colton... Now, Colton, let's say he's out riding his bike, and I say, if, if you don't tighten the chain on your bike, you're going to wreck. And he says, I think it's fine. Says, okay, I'm just telling you, if you don't, ta- you don't tighten the chain, that thing's going to slip off, you're going to get your britches hung up in it, Something's gonna, you need to fix that chain, you want me to help you? Oh, no, I got it, it's good, Dad, it's good. And let's say a few minutes later, I see Colton walking up the drive without the bike, and his britches are ripped, and his shirt sleeve is ripped, Who's the last person he wants to come talk to? The guy that told him, I told you so, right? Now what happens is the Lord tells us what will happen when we live lives dependent on ourselves. Pride goes before destruction, Holy Spirit before fall. And often after we have fallen, the last person we want to talk to is him. So you know, Peter spent a number of days... Jesus came to him, revealed himself twice before John 21. Uh, in the upper room, he reveals himself. He, he singles Peter out on his own. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, he appeared to Peter. But Peter is still, he's not back where he was. He's not following the Lord like he was because he's not yet addressed the problem. He's not yet been reconciled where the Lord can say, look, you said you love me more than them, but you don't. You said you wouldn't deny me, but you didn't. Jesus never had to say that. He just said a few words, lovest thou me. Peter had said, I love you, Lord. I'm ready to go with you to prison. I'm ready to die for you. I'm ready to, I really do love you, Lord. He had professed it, but he had faltered to carry it out. And so when we come to John 21, this gap of time has taken place, and Peter is still living his life the way Peter has, doing what Peter wants. When he wants, got a wild hair, he's going to go do it. When he wants to do something, he's going to. So he says, hey, I go a fishing. They said, well, we go with thee. And we're so familiar with this text. But in John 21, we already read the first 14 verses. Uh, They are out on the boat, and Peter, being a good fisherman, has fished all night and caught nothing. (laughs) So the Lord Jesus says, children, have you any meat? And Peter's path to the next fire begins. An honest answer comes from the boat, no, no. When the Lord says, are you succeeding in your life? How many times are we failing and we want to craft it as success? I'm telling you, we have a culture that says don't ever have negative thoughts or negative words. So we've actually literally failed at something. Someone says, did you fail? No, we're just learning from our mistakes. Instead of saying, yes, I failed. I tried something and I failed. I went to catch fish and I came back empty. Have you won someone to Christ? No. 
Would you like to? Yes. Have you tried? Yes. Are you succeeding? No. Well, a good place to start is honesty. Have you any meat? No. Well, cast on the right side of the boat. How many remember the last time Jesus told them to do that, what happened between Jesus and Peter? Luke chapter 5. He said, launch out into the deep for a draught. Lord, we fished all night and caught nothing. It's always good to correct Jesus. Always good. Now, Lord, I know fishing. You know the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. You know spiritual things. But I know earthly things. We fished all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, it's your word. And they cast the net when Jesus said cast nets. And it break their net. Because Jesus knew what he was talking about. You see, there are times we say we have confidence that he is the son of God. But we still don't follow his leadership like we should. Well, if he's the authority, we should just obey him. Yes. So this time, when Jesus says cast the net on the right side of the ship, what did he do? He did it. Without a question. And caught more fish than the net should have been able to hold and it didn't break. Why is that? The first time he cast a net and he didn't think he would catch anything and it broke his net. The second time he cast a net and they caught 150 some odd huge fish and it didn't break. Because God blesses obedience by faith. So then Jesus, the Bible tells us, had kindled a fire on the seashore. So you've got this fire back in John 18 where the enemies of God are assembled and Peter's trying to fit in. But here's this lone man on the beach and they don't know who it is. And he says, have you any meat? And he said, no. He said, cast the net on the right side. And they just simply did it. He was humble enough to do what somebody else told him to do. At that time, he didn't even know it was Jesus. But he's, he's humbled enough. So, well, I'll cast it on the right side. This happened one time before and it worked out well. And after they cast the net and drew it in, John says, it's Jesus. And when Peter knew that it was Jesus, immediately he began to change his conduct to please the Savior. You see, when he was at the fire of compromise and the fire of conformity, he began to change his conduct to please the world. But now when Peter realizes it's Jesus, the Bible says he got his fisher's coat. Reckon why he did that. He was ashamed for the Lord to catch him without his clothes on because that's where he was. And so him knowing that's Jesus, I can't go appear before him like that, he begins to change his conduct to meet the pleasure of his Savior. You see the difference? At the fire in John 18, he's changing his conduct to please the world, but now he's changing his conduct to please the Savior. Can I ask you a question? Very straightforward question. When was the last time you modified your conduct because you knew what you were doing did not please Jesus Christ? When was the last time I quit using a word because I know he doesn't want that filthy word coming out of my mouth? When was the last time I said, I won't watch that because I know that displeases him? When was the last time I said, I'm going to clean some things up in my heart and my thoughts and what I'm doing because Christ is near and I know that's him calling me closer. You get closer to Christ, you'll start changing things to conform to what he likes. Peter is now in the process of conversion. He's not modifying his conduct to make the world happy. He's changing his conduct to make the Savior happy. We're supposed to live to please him. One of the indicators that we're all out of kilter among God's people is someone says, well, I think I have liberty to do this. And they'll give you a list as long as your arm of the reasons they've come up with why it's okay. But they can't tell you it pleases Christ. But it does fit with what everybody else is doing. How many of you know and have noticed the world is getting more corrupt? Then what comes next? How many of the Presbyterian churches today, some of them will ordain lesbians and sodomites to be their pastors? How did we get there? Now, don't miss what I'm going to say to you. 
50 or 60 years ago, they started changing lesser things to please the world instead of pleasing God. In your life, if you have things today and you say, well, it's what, <laughs> it's culturally acceptable. Don't, don't lose me this morning. We're preaching where we live this morning. It's culturally acceptable. That has nothing to do with how we're supposed to live as a Christian. What's, you know what? On the boat, it was culturally acceptable for Peter to be up there without his fisher's coat on. But he would have never done it if Jesus was on board. Don't, move, don't lose me now. There are some in this room, perhaps you do things, that if Jesus were near you and you knew it, you'd never do it. But it's okay with everybody else that's around you. So all kids, they have a hard time with that. Kids, nothing. We all do. Are we living to please the Savior or to appease the culture? You say, well, neither really. No, 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 no. You are at one fire or the other. I am at one fire or the other. And so then, his path to the fire of consecration, it was a path of honesty. It was a path of humility. Do you think Jesus knew he had his coat off? Yeah, he had to put it on to jump in the water. But he said, you know what? I'm going to change what I need to so I can be nearer the Savior. Once John said, that's the Savior, he said, then that's where I'm going. I think his heart was yearning to show the Lord, I, really, I was wrong, I, missed, I, I was wrong to you, but I want to show you that I love you. So he's willing to modify his conduct to please the Savior. That's the path. It's a path of humility and honesty and submission that takes him to the fire Jesus had kindled. His purpose, why is he coming to shore from the boat? What had Jesus said? As he's swimming to shore, Jesus said, come and dine. So, you know what Peter did? He came and he dined. His purpose here is not comfort. His purpose is obedience. His purpose is not personal comfort. His purpose is Jesus told me to come. I'm going to come where he's at. Listen. We'll either try to change who Jesus is to conform to us or we'll conform to him, one or the other. And so then, his path, his purpose, his profession, three times at this fire, for time's sake, we're not going to read it. Jesus said to Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? And three times, Peter was very honest with the Savior. We've mentioned this many times. The word lovest that Jesus uses is agape. Do you love me unconditionally no matter what? And Peter answers with, I phileo. I love you as a brother, meaning I don't love you with perfect love, but I do love you. I don't love you like you love me, but I love you. Now, before, Peter said, I love you more than anybody else, and I love you as much as you love me. You know what he's saying? Lord, I don't need you to die for me. I'll die for you. That's what he used to say. Now that Jesus has died for him and raised from the dead, I think Peter's heart was melted to say, I failed you when you needed me most, but you did not fail me when I needed you most. You with me this morning? When you can get a hold of that truth, you'll sit at Christ's fire instead of theirs. You with me? When I am intimidated by the world and trying to blend and fit, I've not gotten a hold of the fact yet that Jesus Christ laid his life down for me. Listen, if I'm unfaithful to him, it won't change him. He abideth faithful. And so I'm faithful to him today, not because he needs me, but because I need him. And so then his purpose for being at this fire was nearness to Christ and obedience to him. His profession 
Yes, Lord, I love you. All three times, he never got to the point where he says, I love you unconditionally. So, Lord, I love you. you. Then he says, not only does Peter say, I love you, he said, Lord, thou knowest all things. You know what I think Peter's saying? Obviously, I don't know me as well as you know me. But I know one thing, you know everything. You think Peter's a little different now? He's at one fire saying, I don't know him. I don't know him. I don't know him. I'm telling you, I don't know him. And he curses and swears and acts like them. And now he's at Jesus' fire. And the Lord Jesus is saying, do you really love me? And the Bible says he's grieved that Jesus asked him three times, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. Then Jesus says, then feed my sheep. And what happens after this is Peter begins to succeed where he had previously failed. His performance is this. Jesus says, follow thou me. And immediately Peter gets his eyes on John and says, what about him? And Jesus says, what is that to thee? Follow thou me. My point is this. Once Peter's heart was right toward the Savior, once his heart was in compliance with the Savior, once Peter saw himself the way the Savior saw him, he could see the Savior for who he was. And then from that day forward, he faithfully followed. And the message has been preached. The question is, which fire am I at this morning? Am I living out of intimidation from a God-denying, Christ-hating world? I'm going to tell you what creates lukewarm Christians. When we begin to try to appease a world that hates God by acting like them without denying Jesus, I'm going to hold my doctrine, but I'm not going to act like a fanatic. Tell you what, that fire will turn you into a compromised, miserable person. But the Lord Jesus says, I've got something for you. What food did he get at the, at the enemy's fire, by the way? What food did Peter get at the enemy's fire? Nothing. He left hungry and bitter, weeping bitterly and cold. But at Jesus' fire, he came to be fed. May I say something? The Spirit of God is likened to fire over and over. And if the Lord Jesus Christ is your Savior today, he wants fellowship with you. The world will leave you empty, disappointed, and weeping bitterly. But the Lord Jesus left Peter full. He fed him because he had a job for him. Amen? Song this morning said only Jesus can satisfy the soul. Now, I'll tell you something. The world's approval will not satisfy you because you can't ever make them happy. Uh, The world's applause will never make you happy. It'll never satisfy. But the Lord Jesus says, come and dine. Feast on my word. Listen to what I have to say and follow me. He'll strengthen you for what he gives you to do. And all I'm asking this morning is, are you living your life this morning to appease them or to please him? At which fire am I sitting? If you're living a life that is constantly defending my own ability, defending my own faithfulness, defending me, I do things right. You know what? We need to live a life defending him. He's the one that does all things well. Amen? I don't know how God may be applying the message this morning. I don't know hearts. Most of you, I don't know your lives. We know each other here, and some we know better than others, but the Spirit of God knows all of us. And this morning, if he has shown me some area where you're nearing the enemy's fire, then may God help us today to see that. Maybe you say, I've been here. I am between. I've already been at the fire of conformity. I've already tried to fit in with the world and in so doing been unfaithful to my Savior. But maybe the Lord is saying, hey, come and dine. Our lot in life is not just to stay away from the enemy's fire. It's to sit at his and let him feed us with his word 
strengthen us for His will, and then go do what He says to do. 